Hello and welcome to the Olympic Channel podcast. I'm Ed Knowles. This is the home of the very best bits from olympicchannel.com. We'll have some amazing interviews and give you a heads up about all our great original videos that are live at Olympic Channel. This is the place where the games never end. So the Figure Skating World Championships are this weekend in Milan. Lucky you if you're going. Friend of the podcast, Yuzuru Hanyu, won't be competing. But we do have an interview from Pyeongchang with 15-year-old Alina Zagitova. And if you haven't seen her routine from the Winter Games, then go over to olympicchannel.com, have a little look at it. It's really nice as well to have another big event to fill that rather Olympic-shaped hole. I've also secretly been working on some podcast news and I'll tell you about that at the end of the show. But let's get on with that now. So, coming up. Who is the greatest sprinter of all time? Michael Johnson has a claim to that crown and we spoke to him. And as I just mentioned, an Olympic gold medal winner at just 15. Imagine that. Russian figure skater Alina Zagitova sat down with us. And, you know, just the six Olympic gold medals for British cyclist Chris Hoy. We caught up with the track, Don. Two legends, a youngster bridging generational gaps today. But before all of that, here's what's doing the numbers on OlympicChannel.com. Yusuri Hanyu is happy to say, well, nothing at all. The double gold medalist tells the Olympic Channel why he doesn't feel the need to connect with his fans on social media. Where are they now? Snowboarder Sean White's legend lives on. And the Nagano Tapes is still one of our best performers on the website, and it's for a reason. It's a really great underdog story of when the Czech ice hockey team beat all the shiny NHL pack teams to take an unexpected gold at the Nagano Games in 1998. And it's produced by Frank Marshall, who helped like little films like Back to the Future and Indiana Jones get to the silver screen. So if you want to see that, go to olympicchannel.com. And if you're looking for your daily Olympic news fix, then get to olympicchannel.com forward slash news. That is refreshed all the time. Okay, going to meet any Olympic gold medalist is always a privilege. Going to meet any Olympian is always absolute pleasure. But having the chance to sit down with four-time Olympic champion Michael Johnson, well, that's next level amazing. People throw around the world legend, but Michael Johnson really is that. He's a legend. He used to have the world record in both the 200 and 400 metres. That was until that South African Wade Van Niekerk came along anyway. Nevertheless, he remains one of the greatest living Olympians. And Ashley Tullock spoke to him just before the Indoor World Championships. And she began by asking him if he sees anyone coming up that could ever compare to his generation. I don't get a chance to really get to know these athletes in that way, so it would be difficult for me to say. I tend to look at it and think that, you know, the, the proof is in the performances. So, you know, um, but I don't, I don't know the athletes and get to know them. I don't, you know, I'm not able to get to know them at that level to see if they have that sort of um, um, you know, belief, that sort of diligence, but also I think most importantly, that sort of understanding of themselves. I think when athletes are able to consistently perform 
at the level that they're capable of and, and able to deliver their best performance when it counts, it's typically because they know what it takes and how to get the best from themselves. And that might be different for each athlete. It's not, you know, take the same approach that Michael Johnson took. Usain Bolt certainly didn't. He took a very different approach than I did, and he knows that that it obviously works for him very well, and he w will explain that. You know, he knows that if he's too serious out there, then he gets too nervous and he's not in control of the nerves. For me, it's a different approach for me to control the nerves and to prepare myself to get out. So it's, I need to be very focused. So it's each athlete kind of understanding how to get the best in themselves, how to get themselves physically, emotionally, prepared to go out there and perform at their best. For younger athletes, learning how to kind of cope with that and working out what works for them, um, you know, it takes time. You obviously didn't realise straight away what worked for you. The Youth Olympics in Buenos Aires are coming up in October. Um, th that'll be a chance for some young athletes to really get their head around competing, you know, on an Olympic level. Um, what do you make of the, the Youth Olympics and, and that being a stage for young athletes to try and, I don't know, understand how the Olympic stage is lit? Yeah, I think it, it creates an opportunity for, for young uh, athletes to be in that um, performance uh, atmosphere, that championship atmosphere where you have the opportunity, the opportunity is there and how well you prepare for it, how well you navigate uh, the situation as you're going through elimination rounds to try to get to the final, um, you know, how you prepare based on what you know you're capable of doing from a performance standpoint and how you prepare to duplicate that and have that type of performance at the championships. All of those things can be learned from these opportunities so that when the athlete gets to the senior level, yeah, they, they've been through it, they've learned hopefully from those experiences and now uh, they're much better prepared to, uh, to provide, to produce their, their best performances when it counts. I understand music played a little bit of a part in your preparation before you raced. Are you still listening to much Tupac? <laughs> um, not, not much now, still, I mean, I still listen to, you know, some of the same things I was listening to back a long time ago, but uh, uh, I don't really have like favorites. I'm not a favorite kind of person. I don't really have those sort of, so what's your favorite song? What's your favorite movie? What's your, you know, I, I just, you know, whatever sounds good at the time. It's, I listen to a varied group of uh, different types of music. LA is obviously going to be front and center stage when they host the Olympics. Who would you like to see opening up, opening up the, uh, the opening ceremony there? Oh, you're way ahead of me at this point. I mean, that's we're talking, you know, a long time from now. Very excited about uh, the games coming back to Los Angeles, though. It, it will have been uh, since 1996, um, my uh, uh, you know, Olympic Games, um, since we last had the summer games in, in the U.S. So very excited about the games coming back to, to the U.S. and certainly excited to see it come back to Los Angeles. Do you watch much of Pyeongchang? Do you watch Winter Games much, or are you a summer sportsman? No, I watched uh, I watched a little bit of the, the Winter Games. Um, I like watching the Winter Games, and uh, and it's it's an opportunity for me because usually I'm not there. Whereas at the Summer Games, I'm usually there. Don't get a chance to watch a lot of it on TV. I'm doing the TV <laughs> uh, during the, the Summer Games, so it's it's always great to be able to watch and just kind of enjoy as a fan. Thank you to Ashley and also to Michael Johnson. I don't know about you, but when I was 15. I don't really want to say what I was up to. I'd like to say that my mind was on my studies and I was excelling at sport. Hi, Mum. 
but frankly, well, I've never excelled at sports and I was into video games, playing football, just not very well, and rugby and swimming and thinking of jokes and how to show off in front of my friends. Priorities at 15 can be, let's say, tricky, but one 15-year-old is a world beater. Alina Zagitova edged out fellow Russian Evgenia Medjedova by a mere 1.31 points with a jump-filled routine to win Olympic gold in Pyeongchang. Jumps in the second half of the routine are giving more points, so that's how she won. At 15, Olympic Channel reporter Alessandro Poggi started off by asking her what she had to do without in order to excel. I have been skating for about 10 years already and day by day makes me realize that I'm doing the right thing day in and day out. I do not regret that I do figure skating, never had this regret and perhaps you need to love your sport in order to achieve great results and you need to fully devote yourself completely to your sport throughout your career if you want to achieve great results. When it comes to sacrifice, perhaps, well, I cannot eat any sweets, but I'm not saying that sweets don't exist in my life. I do eat it sometimes, especially during competition. Sometimes you need to help your body to give a little boost. Another sacrifice is hanging out with my friends, going out with them. But now I live in Moscow, away from my hometown, so I don't have many friends in Moscow. Well, of course, I would love to bring my friends to the same ring and just skate there and chat with them, but I don't have it in my life. So you're just 15 years old, you're uh, never taking part in a senior world championships, but you're already an Olympic champion. How amazing it is. No. I don't really feel like an Olympic champion. It needs a longer time to sink in, I think. Right, I never took part in an adult world championship, but I think that now it will be a little more difficult to compete at the Worlds as I'm the Olympic champion and have more responsibilities on my shoulders. Let's talk about your friendship with Evgenia uh, Medvedeva. Um, understanding she's a kind of a role model for you. How do you think it's going to be difficult or easy to be friends uh, off the ice and rivals on the ice? Uh, I don't know yet whether a personal dynamic have changed or whether it will change, but I think we will remain friends in life. Perhaps we're similar in our approach to training and to competition, but yet we're different in character, we've got different personalities. I see you've got like uh, steel nerves, you're very calm. Uh, can, can you explain, you're so young, uh, why are you not affected, or maybe why it seems that you are not affected by pressure? Many people have asked me how I managed to contain my emotions so well after the competition. I do not show my emotions. Well, perhaps it's my character. I'm a very calm person. I keep everything to myself. I keep it inside. 
My emotions only come out when I go back home to my parents and I tell them about what happened to me. This is when my emotions come out. I mean, having yesterday I saw you with the medals. When you see yourself in the mirror or on TV with a medal, what do you feel? To be honest, when I put my medal on, I actually slept with it. I thought about all the difficult moments I had to overcome, all the challenges that we walked through with my coaches, my parents, and all the people that supported me. Thank you to Alessandro for doing the interview and also to Dina Matova who provided the voiceover there. And of course, to Alina. So there's some really, really cool stuff at olympicchannel.com at the moment. We've got new episodes of our series Game Breakers, which is about people who were once on the margins in some way. But these Olympians are like trailblazers who have broken barriers to forge new realities in whatever sport. So Spain's Carolina Marin managed to break down barriers in badminton, breaking decades of age and dominance to win Olympic gold in Rio. And you can check that out right now. Chuck in Olympic Channel, Game Breakers and Carolina Marin into a search engine and you will find her amazing story. So what does it take to be an 11-time world champion in cycling? Or even a six-time, yes, six. Chris Hoy just quietly got on with being the best in track cycling for years. Now, if you've ever been to a track cycling event, they are at pains to keep the temperature just right. They want world records and the cyclists to perform at their best. And that means getting the temperature on point. Hoy, though, was forged in Scotland, home of the brave and also home to the cold. And he's taking to breaking world records in rather chilly conditions. And that's where he started off with Olympic Channel reporter Ashley Tullock. I'm trying to break the world record next year for cycling across Antarctica to the South Pole. So there's a world record for cycling and there's also a human-powered journey record and I'm trying to beat it on two wheels. So I'm just starting to get training for that in terms of the, the longer rides and it's quite appropriate that it's snowing today, um, you know, getting used to I mean, it's only about, what, two or three degrees today and I was pretty cold out there and it's going to be minus 25, minus 30 in Antarctica in the summertime. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a big shock, I think. How does one go from the track to ice? I mean, what made you want to want to do that? I mean, you've obviously achieved a lot in your career. This is probably something slightly different. Oh, it's very different. It's totally out with my comfort zone. We'll be riding for about 10, 12 hours a day. I used to race 10 seconds to a minute maximum. So, yeah, very different to what I used to do. Just a new challenge, something to get my teeth into, have a bit of fun doing it, and also to go to somewhere that I would never, never have... You know, it's not somewhere you go on your holidays or for business. Um, so to experience Antarctica would be amazing. And, and hopefully we can raise a huge amount of money for charity as well. What is life like now at the moment? You know, you, you, using the R word. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, since I, I mean, I've been retired for five years now, five and a half years. And certainly the first four of it were the busiest four years of my life. It was absolutely flat out the whole time. Um, not helped by the fact I became a dad, so I've got two kids now, which is the biggest change in my life, the most amazing, the most amazing experience. And you know, everybody says it, and it's it's a bit of a cliche, but it's it's the most wonderful thing that can happen to you. So, 
it's hard work, it's tiring, um, but yeah, you know, I'm away from home for two nights and you just want to get back home to see them. Um, so yeah, five month old and a three year old. So busy with them, the South Pole Challenge. Um, I've got my own brand of bikes, so my own, I design my bikes and do the testing for that. Ambassador roles for charities like Laureus, UNICEF. Um, it's, it's busy all the time, writing kids books. I'm writing books for five to eight year olds, um, Flying Fergus series. So it's, yeah, just lots of different projects. In the past, it was very focused on one thing, training, racing, and you are, you have to be selfish. You are, you know, the center of it all. Whereas now, every week's different, um, dashing from here, there, everywhere, um, just trying to enjoy it all. I was going to say, I mean, don't take this the wrong way, but as an athlete, you do have to be so focused on yourself. You are your own machine, you are your income, you are kind of everything. And now that life has changed and you are a father and there's so much else going on, I mean, was that quite a difficult mental shift, shift for you to actually focus on others rather than yourself? Yeah, it's, I think it's actually quite a relief. Um, and as much as I loved the racing and the training, it was, you know, I had it wasn't just about the medals, it was the whole experience that I loved as a professional athlete for all those years. It's quite a relief when you finish it and you don't have to have every day hitting targets, hitting numbers, performing all the time and you can enjoy a bit of balance in your life and, and therefore it's, it is quite nice to step back from the, the limelight and to let other people you know, become more important in your life than, than yourself. Um, so it's been, yeah, it's been a, it's a big shift and I think a lot of athletes struggle when they retire dealing with that massive shift in their life so for me the, the most important thing is having a focus or having a challenge having things to still get out of bed in the morning and think right I've got you know a number of things to do today um, so yeah I think if you're in a sport where you've made a lot of money it might be a, a difficult situation because they don't have to get out of bed I have to get out of bed <laughs> to work um, which I think is a good thing. I'm interested in, in this transition between going from being a professional athlete and retirement because I don't know how much support there is, you know, when you're young and when you're training, you're going into academies and there's yeah. so much focus on you becoming a particular athlete or yeah. getting into a particular team or representing your country. And then when people retire, I don't know, is, is there the same sort of support and help and guidance? Because equally, it's just as important going back to, you know, yeah. normal life. It's very difficult. I think it's there, there doesn't seem to be much um, structure or, or actual support out there, um, coordinated support. Most of the support is just from your own family, your friends, your own personal network. Um, and I think a lot of the times, there, you know, you can, we know that there's a lot of athletes have had a lot of issues after retiring and, you know, have had mental struggles and, and often they keep it to themselves and it's only after something bad has happened that they've had full breakdowns or, or, or worse that, that it, it comes out to, to, to the public domain. So yeah, I think it could certainly be something that federations and organizations can look at to try and find some sort of means of support and even just the feeling of all of a sudden you know one one day the phone's ringing people are contacting you you've got a place to be people to speak to and all of a sudden no contact um, and it's your old mates and, and friends and stuff and I think it's important to keep in contact almost sort of decompress a little bit not just a sudden drop-off um, but the nature of sport is tough you know it's it's cutthroat it's brutal if you don't make the grade then you're not on the team and you're out and it doesn't matter who you are if you're not performing there's someone else that will take your place so it's it's the nature of what we do but it's, it doesn't make it any easier um, when it comes to an end. Um, and more than ever we see that coming out of a pinnacle event like the Winter Olympics I imagine you watched it um, what did you make of it and what do you make of the fact that you know some athletes will come out of it on a high and others will potentially be finishing their career and 
you know, going into that new phase and that challenge? It's, it's what makes us, it's what draws us to sport, I think, is it's the emotional highs and lows. And if it was all fantastic and great and everybody got a medal and, and there were no disappointments, then it wouldn't have, it wouldn't mean as much. And it, you, you only see how much it means to athletes when they win, when they lose. And you realise that this isn't just a, a game, it's, they've, they've put their whole life, their heart and soul into it. Um, but I think the key thing is, is, is how you deal with that um, afterwards. So you see some athletes, you speak to some athletes who they never get over the disappointment if, if they haven't achieved what they want to. But other athletes would aspire to, you know, if they could achieve half what that athlete had, had achieved in their career, they would be delighted. So it's perspective. It's, it's wanting it and pushing hard and doing everything you can to make it happen. But if it doesn't happen, it's stepping back and actually going, do you know what, didn't get to quite where I wanted to get to, but it was still an amazing ride and, and just, just to be part of an Olympic Games, a Winter Olympics, to, to represent your country is something that not many people get a chance to do um, and yet the guys who miss out maybe get a silver medal and, and they're hoping for a gold or don't medal at all and they're absolutely devastated but I hope in time they can reflect and realise that they should be very proud of themselves. Did you see the likes of Michaela Schiffer and everyone was, you know, was saying she's going to win five, she's going to win five and then you know she's actually still very young, she's got a lot ahead of her, Lindsay Vaughan, her last hurrah, Sean White coming back from Sochi and doing as well as he did. Was, was there a highlight or anything that you took from the games that you enjoyed watching or a moment you sat there with your with your children and well, you know they, they, they sort of got a bit of enjoyment out of it? Well it's, as from a British perspective, great to see Lizzie Arnold win the gold medal um, after Sochi, the first ever Brit to uh, defend their Winter Olympic title. That was amazing. But equally, watching Elise Christie crashing out in the speed skating and just seeing the heartbreak and just wanting to reach reach through the screen and give her a hug and say, come on, you know, it's you've done so well. I mean, she's triple world champion. And you think, you know, sport is cruel. So it doesn't always go your way. Um, and you just feel, well, it doesn't make her any less of a you know, a wonderful human being or, you know, the people who don't win the medals, who don't perform, it's the worst day in the world when it, when it doesn't work out. But, you know, you should be proud of yourselves too. So, yeah, it was a, another great games to watch as an armchair fan, just the emotions, the highs and the lows of it all. So, um, yeah, it's, that's what makes the Olympics so special. It's, it's what it means to the countries, to the athletes, the teams, everybody. Thanks to Ashley again, and of course to Chris Hoy. And that brings us to the end. From next week on, we're going to be theming each podcast, with next one's theme going to be around the maximum. So we're going to be talking about the limits that Olympic humans can reach physically, and what we, or rather me, as a non-Olympic human, can take from it, can learn from it. Before I go, I've got a podcast recommendation, not a sporty one, but I'm really enjoying Hidden Brain at the moment, so have a look at that. If you like the stuff here, you might like that. It's about when science and humans collide, so it's a little bit like what we'll be talking about next week. I've got a shout-out to do. Anna from Manchester got in touch to say that she was enjoying the pod, and also I was really happy with the reaction to last week's Hanyu interview. If you haven't, managed to listen to the Yusuru Hanyu interview that I did last week please go and have a look it's the last episode from this one uh, the squad were out in full force retweeting that on Twitter so that was really cool always good to hear from you so if you want to slide into our DMs we won't mind on Insta Twitter Facebook whatever you like 
And if you like and share any podcast stuff that you see about on our Instagram stories or on our Twitter, then that always helps. Plus, we'll be your best friend forever if you give us a subscribe and a rating. That is of huge benefit to us where you can. All right. Thank you very much. Until next time. <laughs>